Hey guys, with sports betting season in full force with football here, you need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BETUS.com, and they have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 1 800 69 BetUS. That is 800 MyBetUS. You receive 125% sign up bonus by using bonus code SST125. That's SST125. They have re-up and referral bonuses. Also, BetUS is known among America's favorite sportsbook for lots of reasons. Bet on team and player props, loads of NFL futures, UFC matches, PGA golf, live betting on most sports. The online casino has hundreds of games. The race books has all the horse tracks. They have every bet type imaginable. Follow my lead and get your phone, online, and sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. BetUS. You bet. You win. You get paid. Bet U.S. In the South, it's always college football season. And the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Southern Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Nick Saban was right again about a totally different point, but he was still right. It is the Chuck Oliver Show on a Monday. Hope wherever you are, you're having a blessed day. Um, We just turned seven. Put another candle on that cupcake, so I appreciate everybody being with us for your two hours of college football conversation each day. Been doing this since the beginning of the 14th season, so thank you all for all of that. Um, I said that Nick Saban was right again. Now, about something totally different, at least he thought. He still was right. If we can get in the DeLorean and head back all the way under to October 3rd, 2012. If we have gone back in time to October 3rd, 2012, I will quote Nick Saban postgame. Is this really what we want football to be? Do y'all remember the context? It was in the middle of... The narrative that, hey, if you're going to beat Nick Saban in Alabama, what do you got to have? Got to have a mobile quarterback. Got to have a dual threat guy. Got to have a cam. Got to, by the way, I said this is October 2012. This was him experiencing uh, an Ole Miss offense that had some giddy up to it. He didn't like it. Now, he and the Arkansas coach at the time, do we remember? Brett Bielema. Brett took it to another level because he'd glommed on with this. He was like, hey, Saban's speaking out. I I got license. And he might have brought it up at media days as well. But I remember Brett Bielema was like, oh, yeah, pace of play. We're going to have players dropping dead on the field. What? Oh, yeah, they're going to be so worn out. Eh, maybe not. But, But back to Saban. He was talking about Ole Miss and up tempo offenses. And then players, I suppose, dropping dead on the field of exhaustion. But there's a bigger picture here, and his very own team is a great example of it. I'm more convinced watching every week's games 
that there's a very real portal effect happening all across college football. Uh, Well, almost all across. More about that in a second. When I say that there's a great example of the portal effect happening all over college football, the exodus of so many players that you have invested time and resources in that doesn't have to be debilitating. However, the big because there have been, I mean, for decades and decades and decades, what have programs done? They have essentially quit on players that they have already invested time and resources and everything else, recruiting and training and equipment and all of it. And when I say they quit on the players, what I'm saying is they quit having plans for the player. That's been going on for decades. When whatever program recruits a kid and they realize he ain't a ball player. So what do they do? You still get to stay on scholarship for the most part, but you're not going to play. You're just going to kind of, you know, warm something for a while and then we move on. But it really does matter. So you always have had dead weight on a roster. Somebody who wasn't really earning his scholarship. The difference is now... There are a lot of players you do have plans for. In fact, there are starters on your team. Jawan Mitchell, Texas's leading tackler last year. He's like, all right, where can I play my final season? I'm like, dude, you're at Texas. That place, that conference, that level, yes, Texas Big 12 Power 5. I'd like a bigger stage. Huh? So now you the diff, that's the difference is that with the transfer portal, you haven't not only the exodus of players that I mean Steve Sarkeesian is like Texas yeah I'll take that job part of what he looked at now he would have taken it anyway because part of what he looked at was seven and a half million dollars a year but part of what he looked at if you divide up the Steve Sarkeesian looked at the Texas program pie like 1.8 percent of it was Juwan Mitchell well he's gone that didn't used to happen So that's the first part of the portal effect. Second part is the influx of so many new players. Well, now, wait a minute. That's supposed to help, and Lord knows it can. When Arkansas brought in Felipe Franks, here's the thing about Felipe. He's a big kid, giant quarterback, and he's athletic-ish. That if you're deficient, he can burn you running the ball, but you have to help him. I mean, he's not a sprint champion, but he's big, giant, athletic quarterback. And Arkansas and Felipe both benefited from him transferring. Well, that's not always how it works. It can work how it's working for Jermaine Johnson this year in Tallahassee. That's not always how it works. Florida brought in as much talent as anybody. Oh, that's how it works sometimes. And Florida brought in big-time talent. I'm talking just defensively. Big-time talent. And their defense, it was better. It appeared it was better earlier in the season. I don't know what it is now. Alabama, what have they done? Alabama has brought in not as many, and it seems to be targeted. They've, They've had the exodus. And that's happened with their coaching staff which we always paid attention to. Now it's starting to happen more with their players. And with them, remember, it's the NFL. 
it's transfers, it's, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and be a coach now. So they have that and then also have the influx. Well, how does J- getting Jamison Williams on the roster hurt them? Well, it probably doesn't. But it's the entire mixture is what I'm saying. And even with Alabama, it is starting to take root. If you look at Saturday's game, you've got a Tennessee team that is 1 through 85. They dot the roster with some some SEC game wreckers, and I mean like four. Then they dot the roster a bit more with SEC caliber starters, and I'm talking like probably another 10. All right, then there's the rest of the roster. That's who went to Tuscaloosa and was down seven in the fourth quarter. What I saw from Alabama Saturday, special teams disasters. Punt blocked, had a roughing the punter on, was it like fourth and 26? A roughing the punter that converted for Tennessee, obviously, turned it into a touchdown. Gave up 347 yards offense to Tennessee, 283 through the air. And I don't know how healthy Tyon Evans was or not, but he wasn't the Tyon Evans that maybe Tennessee was hoping for. Outside of that, Tennessee had three quarters of really successful offensive football in Tuscaloosa against that bunch. Why? In part, the portal effect. In part. Now, when I said we're seeing this all across college football because everybody can participate in the portal, Dabo and Clemson choose not to. The only program in what we used to call Division I that has not taken a transfer to this point. Not one. And Dabo, still, he seems dug in. So, whatever. He's the coach. If he wants it pink, it's pink. When you're the head coach, that's it. But the portal effect, when I said it's happening all across college football, well, almost. Yeah, not in Athens, not this season. And I think it is in part because UGA still has, and I want to say this correctly, I want to make sure that this conveys exactly what I'm believing about their offense. Um, I think that the more plug-and-play, I don't want to use the word simplistic, so the more simplistic your approach is, the less there is to get wrong. I've always, two things you want on a football player. I, I like tough players because you can't teach that. You realize, that's the one part of playing football that you cannot instruct a kid on. They either gravitate to the physical part or they don't. It's, it's there or it's not. I can't instruct you on anything to do with that. And I want smart players. Now, you don't have to be a Rhodes Scholar, but I'm saying like functional football smart because every player is going to make mistakes. Smart players make fewer mistakes. So that's literally my requirements for a football player. I want tough and as smart as I can find. All other things equal. That's it. I'm good. I'll teach you everything else. And I'll give you all the equipment you need and you'll understand everything. Well, I promise you, I need you to be tough. and I need you to have a brain cell. And if that's who I'm dealing with, and we have a simplicity of mindset as part of the offensive approach, yeah, that makes it easier to shed the portal effect. We're not asking as much of you. Do you know what 
a lot. Running the ball a lot. We've played that clip before. That's Kirby talking about his offense with a reporter. Do you, do you know what now? Nobody really runs the I formation anymore, but it's still the same blocking scheme, except you have an extra receiver to take a defender out of the box, which that's pretty effective. They're like, hey, we got a fullback, and he's trying to block this third linebacker. Why don't we just set him out wide as a receiver, and instead of it being a linebacker, it'll be a nickel. Oh, okay, that works. Still same blocking scheme. Do you know what the blocking scheme is in that? The I formation mindset? Do you know what it is? Find the first opposite colored jersey and get him turned. That's it. Well, folks, it don't matter last year if you played at Rhode Island, Oklahoma, or the University of Georgia. You still know the difference between red and blue. All right, well, there's the blue jersey. I guess I should get him turned. Hey, mission accomplished. You're George Bush. Plant the flag. Simplicity of mindset helps you bypass the portal effect as much as possible. There is raggedy football being played all over Division I right now. Just not in Athens. Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Look, we beat Tennessee today, so I'm really happy about that. It wasn't a perfect game, and it wasn't perfect execution, but these people are really, really happy that we beat Tennessee, and I'm really happy we beat Tennessee. We got a bye week. We need to fix some things, so let's don't worry about the mental lapses right now. Let's enjoy the win. What? What? Excuse me? Chuck Oliver show on a Monday. Occupy yourselves while I find a paper bag to breathe into for a second. That's Nick Saban. That's Nick Saban speaking immediately after the the stretched out. Lord knows. Give him credit. 52-24 final. So, so, yeah, that's the four-touchdown win by Alabama. That's the head coach after it. So let's not really talk about the mental lapses. Let's just celebrate the fact that the kids got to come out here and run around in front of their friends and family, and they got cheered, and everybody's happy. Well, uh, really? Folks, that's Nick Saban nine years after saying, is this really what we want college football to be? That's him on the field going, yeah, we had some mental lapses, but why don't we just enjoy this? We got a bye week. We got plenty of time. We'll get to it. Now, was he being 100% transparent about all his feelings? No. But remember that when Nick Saban talks to a sideline reporter or me or anyone other than Miss Terry, he is talking to his team. There is never a stray word. There is always intention. Now, I'm going to guess his intention there is he saw so many mistakes. I don't know. If you're a parent, there are times when your kid screws up, you know, scale of one to 10, it's a, it's a three. And so you react at about a two and a half. And then there's the five and you react at about a four and a half. What you would think when you kid does something that's like a nine or a 10, well, you're going to react kind of in known. There are times when it's so bad. You back all the way off and go, wait a minute, this is kind of a big picture. I need a totally different approach. This is so serious. Nick Saban just saw so much wrong with his team. 
at home against a not-talented defense. He just saw offense, they got some pieces. And defense, I mean, they're all on scholarship in the Southeastern Conference. God bless them. He just saw so much wrong with his own team that, that it's like one of those situations in our own life where when it's a little bad, we can react in kind. If it's something that's like uber, uber serious, what do we do? We kind of step back sometimes and say, hey, different approach maybe. Let's reevaluate some. Nick Saban, that was a head coach looking around after the game going, I don't recognize a lot of this. I was explaining something. I actually, you talk about 2012 season, actually. Bob, just blind luck. Do you remember the Saturday, November 2012, when Texas A&M and Johnny Manziel went into Tuscaloosa and beat Nick Saban, Alabama? I, I was in Alabama that day. I was in Birmingham doing a Rice UAB game. But I was in Birmingham that day. And I happened to be staying at the team headquarter hotel for Texas A and Aggie fan. And so I do my game and I get back to the hotel. And when I get into my room, I get through all the craziness and they're really happy for themselves. I get to my room and I turn on the TV. And that day was the, it was the same day Georgia was at Auburn. <clears throat> Auburn was very not good that day. They were very not good that year. They were in the process of losing that game. I believe it was 38 or 39 to nothing. It's not important. It was a whole bunch to nothing. So as I sit down and I I click on the TV in the hotel room, I'm watching Georgia at Auburn. And again, I think it's 38 to nothing. And this is my team that just two years earlier was national champion. And the game's at Jordan-Hare. And I'm not kidding, folks. I turned the game on. It's the middle of the third quarter in route to about a 40-point win to nothing. And I'm like, well, those are Auburn players. They're they're wearing Auburn uniforms. And they're running around on the – because I recognize the flowers in the end zone where the uh, play clock is. I was like, well, those are people wearing Auburn uniforms. And that is the Auburn field. But that's that's not the Auburn team. That was Nick Saban the other day. It's so out of sorts for him that he he looks around. He was like, I don't under, I don't recognize a lot of this. And I was just a guy watching on TV. He recruited every last player in the program, has coached every – and he looks around, and Nick Saban, who reinvented football in the SEC, says, I don't get it. the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. All week, all year, it's all college football on the Chuck Oliver Show. Dealing it out two hours a day, nine states, 55 sticks. As of about a week from now, I'm jumping the gun. So, uh, But I appreciate everybody coming here for your college football talk every single day. It, it's becoming very much a wasted season for one SEC program. 
uh, maybe another wasted season, at least from the fan base perspective, from the outsider perspective. South Carolina football is now starting either Zeb Nolan or Jason Brown, neither of whom are Luke Doty, uh, who looks like a pretty good, athletic, talented, redshirt freshman quarterback from the state who's got a lot of pride. Uh, but he is, and he may be the future, but this was supposed to be part of it. You know, I've always said that even bad experience, that's still experience for a quarterback and Luke Doty's out for the year now. And so um, after last season, which was pandemic and fire the coach and where are, well, we'll restarting. This was supposed to be year zero, at least for Shane Beamer, because of just every, all the context. I didn't even know if this going to count as year zero. Luke Doty played like four games or three. I want to welcome on now a man who uh, most recently was on the mic out in College Station for the beatdown South Carolina took on Saturday. 44-14 to 14 was the final from out yonder in Texas. It is Tom Hart. Tom, amigo, how are you? Hello, Chuck. How are you today? I'm doing okay. Let's talk just a little bit of South Carolina before we get to the main event, which is the Aggies and that team's bounce back after losing two straight. Um, South Carolina, just for accuracy, if you had to guess, Zeb Nolan, they had nothing going on the other night with him in the game. Where do you think they go, either Brown or Nolan, or is there a third choice I'm unaware of? There is no third choice. Um, You know, Brown's coming to them from the Northeast Conference. This is the biggest difference, just to rewind for a second. The transfer portal is is fantastic for teams at the top end of college football. This is obvious to everyone who listens to this show. But if Alabama can go get Henry Toto and plug him in at linebacker, that's a great thing for Alabama. Maybe not so much for Tennessee. But at the lower level, where South Carolina had so many guys move on, declare, transfer – they don't have those same opportunities, at least with the coaching change occurring, to backfill those spots with players from great programs. So you get a guy from the Northeast Conference as your third-string quarterback behind a GA who had last played at North Dakota State. That's that's not ideal. You have guys from Assumption College playing in the secondary. I would assume that's not a great program, even at the Division Two level, although that's me going out on a limb there. So from a, just from a personnel standpoint, South Carolina is behind, uh, way behind the times um, from a roster makeup standpoint right now, especially going to A&M and Jimbo's had great recruiting classes. So I don't know where they go from there. I know they're really comfortable with Zeb Nolan. He knows the offense. He can put him in places. He's a, he's a really good leader. And I, I understand what you're saying about this being a wasted year in terms of being year zero or the sub floor to this basement. But I think with Zeb Nolan at quarterback, they have a guy who knows how to lead and knows how to teach and is going to be in coaching for a long time who playing that position can help those around him grow. Um, and that's, I think that's the most positive thing for them going forward. Talking with Tom Hart, play-by-play from, uh, again, most recently, uh, he and the crew were out at College Station for South Carolina and Texas A&M. All right, let's talk Texas A&M. Tell me um, Zach Calzada today versus maybe the second half versus Colorado. Um, To me, confidence is always the thing that comes through. Uh, You know, you can see it, the ball comes out earlier, et cetera, et cetera. What have you seen in Zach Calzada versus maybe four or five weeks ago? Well, I think they've – put him in position to be successful you know they we had their mississippi state game they lost that game there weren't a whole lot of shifts and motions from the wide receiving group and so 
Listen, I don't feel like they gave him, and we discussed this at length Saturday night, a great look at what he was seeing pre-snap. So then he's rushing to make decisions, and the game was moving a little bit fast for him. But they, they changed. They inserted a lot of that stuff for Alabama, or at least used it if it was already inserted. Um, and talking with, with their coaching staff, they said, yeah, the, Alabama's playing so much man, we felt like it was necessary. Well, it's, it's given Zach Calzada a better look pre-snap at where he wants to go and and where he should be going but the biggest help to me from a quarterback position is all of those around him offensive line has now played together for a couple games in a row at this point of the season that's imperative and the running backs between Spiller and A-Chain have just been off the charts back-to-back 100-yard games for both of those guys so A&M running the ball much better and it's taken a lot of pressure off of Calzada all right, when it was two weeks, two losses, um, I'm going to say I actually went back and looked at my notes, and I was like, well, they lost the center in spring, and they lost the other guard. Now Kenyon Green's changing, and they got a freshman at receiver. And, a fre- and I was going through all these injuries and how many freshmen, 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 sophomores it looked like were playing a lot more than they were supposed to, and that kind of answered the question. Um, all right, well, that changes against Alabama and then two more <laughs> SEC opponents. Um, w- why didn't that narrative carry for the past three weeks? Which narrative is that? Is it mean that the, the offensive line was healthy? That the offense, that there were so many injuries and they were having to play so many young guys, so that explains why they lost to Arkansas and Mississippi State. Well, okay, if that explains why they were losing, well, those did, did they get healthy at all these spots suddenly? Some of them they did. On the, I know they did. Chase Lane yes. coming back, for instance. Yes, they got healthier at, at certain spots. They used Weidemeyer, the tight end, more. Baylor Cup made an appearance the other night. We, we've been continually heard about him but hadn't really seen him much Jimbo loves the guy um I just think that they were trying to figure out who they were on the offensive side of the ball and then then defensively against Mississippi State they got as as the air raid will do to you they got impatient on a couple of a couple of times and tried to play man coverage got beat tried to bring pressure got beat and Mississippi State in that game went from four-yard completion, five-yard completion, six-yard, four-yard, five-yard, boom, to 35. And when they hit 35 on you, the air raid's working, and and you're toast. And they hit just enough of those against Mike Elko's defense where um, they let, to me, an inferior team hang around way too long. Um, but overall, like I, I, Jimbo's kind of an old-school coach. It's kind Hell of an yeah. old-school offense, right? I mean, he wants to be able to pound you in the mouth, and he wants a physical offensive line. Their defensive line was was almost unblockable um, Saturday night against South Carolina, and that's, that's where the game truly swung because Carolina didn't have any time. Um, but the, to me, it's, it's all about the running game. I mean, you get two elite running backs and Spiller and A-Chain back there, and, and you got fresh legs in the fourth quarter because you got two of them. You were in Knoxville a week ago, weren't you? I was, yeah. I was thinking about starting a recycling business after spending some time at Neyland Stadium. Well, it's that Missouri education. I mean, they taught you to be an entrepreneur, have a little ambition. Um, let's just talk what's right with Tennessee because they're not going to—they're not a division champ. They're not going to be representing the SEC in the playoffs. But um, there's enough, even coming off an, an, another loss, there's enough right there. And I'll say there's a lot more that's right in Knoxville than I was expecting, and some of it's even on defense. Yes, yes, but I, if I'm a Tennessee fan, I proceed with caution. Sure. 
in that who they have coming up and and what the back end of their schedule looks like. Yeah, I mean, Vandy, obviously a winnable game, but um, you know, I don't from a from a Big Orange perspective, I, I don't like the matchup with Kentucky. I, Kentucky's a very physical team that will probably not going to allow you to run 89, 90 plays. Um, they run the ball really, really well when they're not playing a team named Georgia or. Um, you know, other other elite defenses. Georgia is obviously untouchable right now. So you've got back-to-back games where I think we're going to learn a lot about this Tennessee program. I, I give Josh Heupel and his staff an inordinate amount of credit to be in this position, first and foremost, after losing something like 35 players mm-hmm. in the transfer portal. And, and not just – not just walk-ons or guys who are disinterested or transferring down. I mean, they guys going, as I mentioned, to Alabama and Oklahoma and North Carolina and starting there and playing and being uh, impact players. The, the tempo, the offense, um, Hooker's development as a quarterback and, and his experience at Virginia Tech has certainly been helpful. The wide receiver play has been fantastic. Um, I just don't know, and, and this is the lingering question, and I, I'm not saying this question gets answered this year, but that offense is an outlier, and we just haven't seen tempo like that be successful in the SEC because your defense has been on the field for 101 plays as they were in tempo versus tempo against Ole Miss, and that, that leaves you oh, um, you're absolutely, absolutely correct. exposed. You're absolutely correct yeah. because the offense, for instance, and it wasn't even Cam, when it was Nick Marshall and Trey Mason um, – that was the first real let's giddy up, but it was all based around the run game, so the clock was moving the whole time. Tennessee can have a three and out that takes like 17 seconds off the clock. Um, wrapping up, Tom Hart. And you can, go ahead. You, but real quick, you can be a pass-first offense in this league and not be tempo. I was shocked when I Certainly. looked at the stats going in this weekend. Mississippi State going in the weekend led the league in time of possession, and they throw it 96% of their snaps. So – you can have one without the other, but you put them both together and it, it exposes your defense, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, and this has been a wide awakening for the Mississippi State. They thought, they thought it was going to be Outdoor Arena League. Um, and I was like, no, that's not exactly how he coaches it. It's different. I mean, essentially, the his air raid, and it goes all the way back to Mummy, and I've heard it put this way, and I started kind of looking at it differently a few years back. It is the wishbone with passing, basically. It's a, I mean, what is the wishbone? A bunch of three option and short and handoff. Well, these are handoffs, except they're six yard pass. They're six yard handoffs forward. Um, yes. And it, it really is an interesting way to think about it. It's the wishbone beyond the line of scrimmage. Um, and that, what is that? That's a methodical, grind it down the field sort of approach. And that's not what that fan base was expecting. No, and in the wishbone or, or whatever you want to call it, say Navy runs right now is little bit, little bit, little bit, bang, little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, bang, and that's where that's where Mississippi State really makes their money. If you allow them, and Mike Elko told us this, if you allow them to complete every pass for five yards, if you allow Alabama to do that, you win the game. If you allow Mississippi State to do that, you're going to give up 500 yards passing. You're going to lose, and that's exactly what they've been able to do when they're playing well. One more quick question for you. Uh, I know y'all were up in Lexington, uh, you and the crew, for LSU a couple of weeks back, and it had already started to kind of fly off the rails there. And then that night, just, I mean, even the fourth quarter where they made it kind of cosmetic. 
That is maybe the number one example I have in college football, the gap between the discrepancy between talent and production. And that's always a measuring stick for me. Um, And I think that's part of his big – everybody looks around and they know how talented so many of those players are. And there are just too many Saturdays. It looks like either you didn't practice or, or not everybody knows what the call is. That is just a disorganized mess in my mind. Well, he was done before that Kentucky game. That was just that, that was the game that allowed his athletic director to call him in and say, um, you know, th- this is what's happening. And by the way, that message was delivered actually after their next win. You know, that's that's an odd way to deliver it, in my opinion. To me, the the takeaway for this season of LSU, which is different from last year, which was a Bo Pelini disaster, um, the difference is the is the injuries and and part of. Modern college football is convincing players who are who are hurt but maybe not injured to stick with it and keep playing. When Derek Stingley bowed out, I thought that was a really bad sign about the future of the program. That guy's going to be a first-round pick no matter if he would have finished the season mm-hmm. or not, whether or not he was healthy enough to do so. Only he, his family, and that staff know. Um, but they are not the same team from a talent or depth perspective as they were early in the season. They're going to go to Alabama, by the way. I forget where that game is. But they're going to take on Alabama with fewer scholarship players this year than they had last year during a COVID outbreak. So it's not going to get any better in Baton Rouge because their depth has taken a monster hit. All right, what do you got this Saturday? Saturday will be in uh, Starkville. We got Mississippi State and Kentucky. Yeah, should be a clash of styles for sure. Yeah, clash of styles, but each team gets about two possessions a half. So, um, all right, Tom. (laughs) Talk to you soon, brother. Thank you. Great to be with you. Thanks, bud. All right, Tom Hart, of course, he and Jordan Rogers and Cole Cube looking a whole bunch. Uh, They will be in Starkville. Uh, Again, Kentucky comes calling. Uh, That is a night game, too. So, uh, again, and that's uh, just because of the – you know, he'll throw 57 passes. Will Rogers throw 57 passes, and he may complete 35 of them. Um, but, again, it's it's sort of a forward handoff. That's kind of the approach they have there. But, again, that's a, a 6 o'clock Central, 7 East kick on Saturday night, and that's where Tom and the crew will be. We're going to break, come back, wrap up Hour 1 next. of college football no matter where you go with a new southern sports today app catch the best college football conversation in the south everywhere with the sst live stream and daily podcast downloaded now at the app store and the google play store now more of the best college football talk in the country it's the chuck oliver show all week all year it's all college football on the chuck oliver show as we were mentioning old miss Talked about this a little earlier. 31-17 final score in Oxford. They get the dub over at Ogeron and LSU this past Saturday. And it was uh, a huge game for, for both programs. Huge game for both coaches. Um, and personally, I'm saying, because Lane Kiffin, they go back, like way, way back. They're boys going back to USC and beyond. So coached together, coached with each other, coached for each other, uh, at least Lane hiring Ed two times, remember, USC and Tennessee. Um, So they get the win. And right now, if you are Ole Miss, you're looking at the standings and thinking, um, all right, we got a shot at something here. 
We've only got the one loss here, and coming up on Saturday, for instance, we're at Auburn. Now, it's a night game in Jordan-Hare. Does that really – is that going to spook the Ole Miss players? I don't believe so, but I'm just setting a scene for you. I always talk, you know, 1 through 85, what are you? I don't believe that the Ole Miss roster is more talented than the – in fact, I would say 1 through 85 – Auburn, I believe, has more, I believe, has more, especially available talent, because Ole Miss a little banged up, a lot banged up, actually, a receiver. Jerry and Ely, boy, he's back. Wow. But still, they got injuries, and they're like everybody else. They, they got some players they're missing. But I think 1 through 85, on the whole, Auburn has more talent. I, I, I'm soft-selling that about as much as I can, because it's hard to process with, again, all the injuries. But... Here's the cinder block on the scale for Ole Miss. If you have a Heisman Trophy winner or finalist or legit candidate, not the watch list, the Maxwell watch list, well, there's 103 players. If you have a legit Heisman candidate, like the last week of October where we are right now, if you've got a legit Heisman candidate or probable finalist or maybe even the winner, Big advantage. It doesn't matter if it's Charles Woodson and he's mostly a cornerback. It doesn't matter. If that's your advantage and he's a quarterback, it's not thumb on the scale. Cinder block on the scale. So that would tilt everything over in the favor of Ole Miss. I don't know if they're going to go on the planes and win on Saturday or not. But I don't think they have the better roster. They're by far the better team. And Auburn is getting there and building. There's a lot of, like, first-year coach stuff going on in Auburn. we got to get tougher, and we got to redefine things, and they do. And so there are some more, let's say, philosophical, structural goals in addition to winning on Saturday for Brian Harson, Lane Kiffin, he's like, yeah, we got all that stuff done. We're ahead of you. So we're about beating you on Saturday and then moving forward. Were you watching the LSU game Saturday? It was seven, LSU had a lead. It was seven to three. Do you know what happened after LSU had the lead at seven to three, folks? We are in the second quarter. Here are the next six possessions for Ole Miss after being down seven to three. Field goal, touchdown, 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 punt, touchdown. Ball game done. Over. So that was Saturday's goal. Check the box. This Saturday, going on the road, not against a great opponent, but a good enough opponent who's well-coached and has a lot of talent. Going to try to check that. So that's in the immediate for Ole Miss. Do you know what the other goal is for Ole Miss? And I'm not talking about like Lane Kiffin and, well, we got to own the state in recruiting. Yeah, fine, build a fence. That's great. Lane Kiffin is not part of Do you know what the other goal for Ole Miss athletics is right now? Keep your coach. Let Ole Miss go 11-1. Okay, now, they're not going to represent the West at that point because Alabama still has to lose two. God knows it could happen. When you're bad on special teams, do you know what happens? A Tennessee team, it's 31-24 in the fourth quarter in your crib. When you're bad on special teams, and Alabama can be. When you're bad on defense, and Alabama can be. When you turn the ball over a lot, and they haven't done that yet. When you just can't move the ball offensively, hadn't been them. But those other two, yeah. 
So Ole Miss is saying, well, if we run the table, I don't know if that's going to happen, but that's how you got to – if we run the table and they lose two, I don't know that either of those is likely. But you now it's the last week of October, and you can at least talk about it because Ole Miss is doing things like rattling off, my gosh, 31 points in, boom, six possessions. They're down 7 nothing, a field goal, and then starting in the second quarter. Touchdown, 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 punt, touchdown. Wow. That's what they're capable of right now in the moment on the field. Way, 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 way above all of that. Bird's eye. How do we keep our coach? Because even if you don't represent the West in Atlanta for the first time ever, and you certainly didn't do it in Birmingham. Even if you don't do that, go 11-1 and one at Ole Miss and see what happens. Go 10-2. and two, Go 9-3 and three and be real fun. Well, that's Ole Miss. I'll give Lane credit. Like his last year, no recruiting, no on-campus recruiting. Only recruiting available is th- three hours on the TV every Saturday. All right. Well, let's be the most fun recruiter out there. It's working at Ole Miss. That's not the easiest place for and no players in Ole Miss on a year-to-year basis compared to other places where there are. And he's making it work there, which means you've got another goal.